Good morning. I am opening my Bible to Luke chapter 9. I trust you're opening yours as well. It's what we come to do, to find out what God is saying to us through his eternal authoritative word. As you're finding your place there, I have a question for you. How many of you feel like last night you got more than enough sleep? Raise your hand. If you got an abundance of sleep, you're so refreshed. How many of you are on the opposite end of that perspective and you just didn't get enough sleep because you live in my neighborhood where the sun goes down at 10 o'clock and that's when the fireworks start going up until about 12, not sensitive at all to the fact that pastors live in this neighborhood who get up while they sleep in on Sunday morning. Sorry, just that was a soapbox. Um, how many of you, let me ask you another question. How many of you feel like you made um, too much money this week? You, you just had an abundance flowing. You had way too, I don't see too many hands. How many of you feel like you should have, you didn't get enough. You, you don't make enough money. I see a hand over there from a six-year-old. Um, there's education involved in that and uh, so get a job. Um, how many of you feel like um, you had more than enough time this week? I mean, you just had so much time. I mean, you got to take naps in the afternoon to catch up on the sleep that you lost. Any, I don't see any hands for it. I have one hand there. Great. How many of you feel like you could have used a little more time? You didn't have enough time. All right. So here, what you are confirming is the reality of human existence. You don't feel like you have enough. And here is what the disciples of Jesus fight to believe. There's a battle going on for the statement in your mind I'm about to make. Here's what disciples of Jesus believe. Without Jesus, no matter how much you have, you'll never feel like you have enough. With Jesus, no matter how little you have, you'll feel like you have enough. Because Jesus is always enough. That is the title of the message. That is the theme of the passage that we're about to read. And if I can just give you a little review. Do you remember last week when Stephen Love was here and preached the paint off the walls? I, I apologize for my remedial preaching skills after Stephen preached last week, but I'm doing the best I can with what I got up here. And so you remember he, he introduced us to what happened in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 1, just by way of review. Just, just look at it. Jesus called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases and sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And the rest of the story looked like an Avengers movie. Can you imagine these blue collar fishermen disciples being given supernatural power to slap down demons and cure diseases? And all day long, everything they did in the name of Jesus created miracles. How many of you could need a, need a miracle? How many of you would like to see a miracle? Can you think of a situation in your life you need God to show up and do a miraculous thing. You wouldn't mind Jesus doing a few miracles in your children. How many of you ladies like to see God do a miracle in your husband? Yeah. And so uh, how many of you see God do a miracle in your finances, all that stuff? So here we are. We're a bunch of people that don't feel like we have enough and we all need a miracle. Well, you are exactly like the disciples. And so they were given this supernatural power. They went out and everything they did produced a miracle. So can you imagine how that day went? Probably the best day of their lives. I mean, just miraculous things happening everywhere they went. 
And then we open up to verse 10, and this is what we read. And on their return, at the end of the day, the apostles, another word for disciples, the 12 disciples, the apostles told him, Jesus, all that they had done. Does anybody have a problem with that? Everything that they had done was only possible because of the power and the authority that Jesus had delegated to them. Now, we don't know exactly what was going on in the mind of the apostles, but I know, you know, if I woke up and had a 24-hour period of day, well, I was like Thor and, you know, Captain Marvel and, and everything that I was doing was producing miraculous things, I might be tempted to have an exalted opinion of my power. Am I the only one that would feel that? And I'm thinking that these disciples probably had the same temptation to have an elevated opinion of themselves. Maybe they were tempted to believe that they could actually perform these miracles without Jesus. Maybe they were tempted to believe that all this is because of how good they were and how powerful they were. Maybe they were thinking, man, we could take over the world. We could conquer the universe. Um, and maybe that was what they were tempted. Maybe that's why we read the next sentence. And he, Jesus, took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. I just get this picture of Jesus taking them like a parent takes a child by his collar and like pulling them out and like sit down. We need to learn some lessons here. He, it says he withdrew. He took them out of the place of public ministry and brought them into this backwoods desert to have a private conversation. There were some things that these disciples still needed to know. They still needed to know they were absolutely dependent upon Jesus for anything spiritual and anything eternal they were doing. That's why the first point of the message is this. Disciples, whether it's these 12 disciples or these disciples that have gathered here at Gospel City Church, disciples of Jesus must continually be reminded of their inability to meet the spiritual needs all around them. If you are not reminded of your inability, you will be tempted to become proud, arrogant, independent, self-sufficient. And Jesus calls them aside to remind them of that truth. Look at verse 11. And when the crowds learned it, they learned that Jesus had taken them out of public ministry and set them on the shelf over here in a private place. The crowds learned it. They followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. And now the day began to wear away and the 12... Interesting. Do you see the word 12 there? Why does Luke rec now refer to them as the 12? Earlier in verse 10, he referred to this group of disciples as the apostles. And now he gives them another nickname, the 12. Just underline that. That's significant. And it won't be the last time you see that in this passage. It says... The 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. 
So these disciples were aware of these crowds of people. We're going to find out later it was 5,000 men plus women. If they all had a wife, that's 10,000 plus children. If they all had two children, What's, I, I lost track of the math there, but anyway, something like 10,000, 20,000 people, something like that, somewhere in between that. So these people were pressing in on the disciples. The disciples are immediately aware that these are hungry people. And they are also aware of their inability to feed them. They are out of resources. Now remember, these are the twain, the self, the, the, what I'm saying is, these are the same 12 uh, disciples that were just performing miracles and slapping down demons and curing people of all their diseases. And Jesus has now put them in the middle of a situation they can't solve without him. Welcome to the world of discipleship. Jesus will often put disciples in a place where he asks them to do stuff they have no ability to do so that they will become aware of their dependence on Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Are you aware of the spiritual desolation all around us? Are you aware of the spiritual hunger of the community that is Michiana, South Bend, Elkhart, Mishawaka, Granger, all these different places. When you walk out of this place, you are walking into a spiritual desert. You're walking into a place that for the most part has rejected God, rejected the grace of God, the authority of God's word. They think people that believe in Christ's view of sexuality are nuts and antiquated and bigoted. And we walk into the place of spiritual hunger as disciples of Jesus. Are you aware of the increasing darkness? Are you aware of the opposition? And that's the community that Jesus sends his disciples into. We must become aware. And the gap between the hunger and the supply is the place where we need Jesus to do what we cannot do. This is the only thing that allows me to sleep at night as a pastor. To recognize there is a world of hunger and I have no ability to feed them. And yet I am dependent upon Jesus to do what I cannot do. That is the place that every disciple must be. And that's the place that Jesus puts them in. A place of inability and yet a place of dependency. This is what makes ministry possible over the long haul. Remember, this was an ex exhausting day for these disciples. Jesus pulled them away from public ministry to get refueled and refreshed and revived to go back into the place of spiritual desolation. And we all need that. That's what this service is all about. This is for the refueling and the reviving and the refreshing. We come out of the place of spiritual hunger so we can get fed by God's word, but not just so that we can enjoy the feast, so that we can have the strength now to go feed and meet the spiritual hunger all around us. But we have to remain completely 100% dependent upon Jesus. We do not have the resources to meet the need on our own. And this is the reason Gospel City Church exists. 
I just want to talk to you. I'm looking at some of these people and you people have been around for decades, not, well, a decade. Some of you have been around for years in this church and you're members and you're invested and you've got this automatic faithfulness thing going on between you and your bank account and the church bank account where it just, there's just, you make a little money and you send a little money and then you're here and you're serving and you're on a volunteer team and, and throughout the week you're leading a small group or you're investing in others. And then there's other people here. You're new to Gospel City. We're so glad you're here. But come and understand this church exists for the purpose of feeding the spiritually hungry in this community. Do you see this church as absolutely vital to the community that we are in? Do you see that? Do you think this church is as essential as the police department? Do you think this church is essential as the fire department? You say, sure. If your house is on fire, that, there might be a little competition. Let me ask you this. Do you believe this church is as important, even more important than the schools, the government? Let me, let me put it this way. Which would you be more disappointed in if you lost both this morning, American Electric Power or Gospel City Church? If you had no lights and no electrical power going in your home, but you had spiritual power going on in your home, that would be enough. Or how many of you is like, I don't think I could live without my microwave. How am I going to charge my cell phone? What would you be more disappointed in? If Comcast went out of business or Gospel City Church went out of business? It's getting quiet in here. Your cell phone provider or Gospel City Church? Do you value this church as vital to feeding spiritually hungry people in this community? Or do you just view this place as a place where you can kind of get a shot in the arm and get encouraged and, and just get out of here as quick as you can before you get asked to do too much? Disciples of Jesus must be reminded of their inability to meet the needs all around him. And, and yet the needs all around us call for a, a group of disciples that will engage the spiritual hunger. Here's the second thing. Disciples of Jesus must learn miracles happen when they give what they have to Jesus. Disciples of Jesus learn miracles happen when they give what they have to Jesus. Look at verse 13. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. All right, you got the picture here? There's 20,000 hungry people pressing in on them. And they come to Jesus and like, Jesus, you need to send these people away. Because we don't have what it takes to feed them. And Jesus looks them in the eye and says two words. You give. Those two words have gripped my heart this week. As a matter of fact, I've just kind of scrubbed out the pronoun you and written Trent give. You should do that in your Bible too. Except don't put my name in there. Put your name in there. <laughs> Jesus is calling you to give. And so many times we think it, 
it's like, we don't, I don't, I mean, I would if I had, but I don't have, so I can't give. But I know somebody who has, so they should give. Jesus, do you know about this person? Do you want me to go talk to this person about the, the need? I could, I could really maybe motivate them to give. And Jesus looks at the people that don't have what they need and tells them to do what they can't do. You give. I mean, they looked at the crowd and they had three options. Like, um, we can send them away or we can go buy food with money we don't have to feed these people. But they never considered the third option. That with Jesus, they could do what they otherwise could not do. And Jesus is calling the disciples in this room to do the same thing. Notice what happened. It says, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all the people. And there were about 5,000 men and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in small groups. That's why we're doing small group leader training. Uh, so he puts them in smaller groups of about 50 each. And, when, and, and they did so and had them all sit down and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven. He said a blessing over them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Do you notice how specific the sequence is in all of that? It has very specific meaning. Here, here's what we need to understand from this passage. As a disciple of Jesus, I need to understand Jesus is not limited by what I have. Did you notice how the first thing the disciples did was they took inventory of what they have? I've met so many people as you begin to have this conversation with people about this discipleship journey of giving out of what we have to meet the needs of the spiritually hungry. And for a lot of people, that is a major step forward in their relationship with Jesus because then it becomes tangible, right? When you actually put what you have in the hand of Jesus, man, that really is an external evidence of an internal faith that I am trusting Jesus because I'm given something I actually have and I'm trusting that in the future, he's gonna give me what I need. That's a spiritual discipleship journey that we're all on. And if you've never begun that process, here's the first step. The first thing you need to do is take inventory of actually what you have. So I, I would love to have a conversation with you. Do you know what you have? I mean, do you know everything you have? Do you know everything you have in the garage? Do you know everything you have in the closet? Do you know everything you have in a checking account, savings account, CDs, IRAs, I don't know, retirement, all these different things. They're, they're, in this room, I mean, there's ordinary people in this room. I don't think there's a lot of millionaires in this room, but there are millions of dollars of assets in this room. The question is, do we even know what we have Sometimes we don't know what we have because we're so focused on what we don't have. And we use the excuse that I can't give because I don't have. These disciples says, oh, here's what we have. We got five loaves and two fish. But of course, that's not enough because there's 20,000 people out there. And I don't even think we can break the bread in small enough pieces to give everybody a bite. 
And yet Jesus said, bring it here, put it in my hand, and he multiplied it. Jesus is not limited by what I have. There are people in this room, I'm looking at some people that are like just starting out, your college students or maybe your, your, your high school students. Listen, don't ever think that giving is somebody else's responsibility. It's not about meeting the need as much as it, it's a need for you to give, to learn, to pry your fingers loose of the things that God has given you so that we can express our reliance and dependence upon him. And so I want to encourage you, if you're a regular attender of Gospel City Church, if you're a citizen of the Gospel City, then throw in to meet the need because this place exists to meet the need of the spiritually hungry people in our community, including the people that have gathered here today. Jesus is not limited by what I have. And we need to understand that Jesus does not need what I have. Hey, we think that somehow, well, I'm really gonna help Jesus out. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw in this week. Listen, are you aware of the fact that everything you have was given to you by Jesus? It really all belongs to him. And anytime you give, anything you put in his hand is just putting back in his hand that which rightfully belongs to him anyway. So why does he want me to give? Why did he want the disciples to give? Because he was inviting them to participate in the work that he was doing in the world. So they had five loaves, two fish. How many of you believe Jesus could have pulled off the miracle with three loaves and one fish? How many of you believe that Jesus could have pulled it off with no loaves and one fish? How many believe Jesus could have done it with like a little minnow? How many believe Jesus didn't even need the minnow? I mean, just didn't need what they had. He could have performed this miracle without them. He could have bypassed them. But he wanted them to participate by giving what they had. And he wants you to participate by giving what you have. And when you give what you have and you participate in what Jesus is doing, you can rejoice and celebrate. You know, um, this is one of the most famous stories in the Bible, right? You've heard this, you've been to vacation Bible school. You've been to science school, right? You've heard this story, right? So this story appears in four different places in the Bible. And one of those stories gives us a little bit more detail. And most of you know what the detail is. In John chapter six, verse nine, it actually tells us there was a little boy there who had five loaves and two fish. So where did the disciples get the five loaves and the two fish? One of two options, either they robbed the little boy or the little boy gave to the disciples so the disciples could give to Jesus. And so do you understand there's two miracles that happens in this story? The second miracle is the feeding of the 5,000. The first miracle is that there was a 12-year-old boy that pried his hands off of some of his stuff. How many of you have met a 12-year-old boy? How many of you know this is not instinctive? Giving is a learned behavior. And that's why last week when we had vacation Bible school and we had a bunch of kids in the room, we had four, four, it seemed like 4,000, 400 kids who took over every square foot of this facility with 150 volunteers pouring Jesus into them all week long. We, we stopped every night and we 
encourage them to get their eyes on the spiritual needs beyond us. We told them about this uh, organization that we partner with as a church called Africans Reaching Africa. And there's a bunch of pastors that are being trained over there at our sister churches, Harvest Bible Chapel sister churches there that are actually being sent out into northern Africa, a Muslim controlled area closed to people that look like us, but open to people that look like them. And these guys are going in there and they're preaching the gospel and they are planting churches. And we told these children about them. We encouraged them to give. Would you want to give? Meet the spiritual need over there? And so for the, do you know what happened? The first time in the history of Gospel City Church, the boys beat the girls in giving. I think, I think next week we're going to have a little contest between the boys and the girls in this room about who can give the most, who sees the spiritual needs and who wants to put that in Jesus' hands. Jesus doesn't need what you have, but understand this. Here's the reason why some of you won't give it. Jesus will break what you have. They say, what do you mean? Did you notice the sequence? The little boy gave it to the disciples, the disciples gave it to Jesus, and what did Jesus do? He lifted it up, gave it to the Father, and then broke it. It's a picture of what Jesus does every time I give. He's breaking my addiction to my stuff. He's breaking my reliance on self. He's breaking the myth that this stuff will satisfy me. And that's one of the reasons we don't give is because we're so addicted and we don't want Jesus to break it. We think we need it so much. Listen, some of you are being broken right now and you're wondering, what is Jesus doing? Why don't I have a job? Why am I overpaid? Why am I going through this trial? You know what he's doing? He's breaking you so he can use you. Brokenness is a prerequisite for usefulness. And once you have been broken, you know what Jesus does with broken stuff? He multiplies it. Jesus will multiply what I have when I place it in his hand. This is the belief of a disciple. Jesus can do more with my stuff than I can do it if I keep it for myself. You believe that? That Jesus will multiply what I have and I can trust him to do more with it than what I could do. do. Do you know that Gospel City Church is a miracle? Some of you that have been around for a long, you, you know this, you've had a front row seat of watching Jesus multiply the stuff around here. And uh, we're just trying to keep up with all the stuff that Jesus is multiplying. Some of you are new and I just, I just wanna kind of invite you into the story. If this is now your church, you kind of need to know this story. You need to be able to tell this story because what you are a part of is a miracle. Do you know when we planted this church? It was the fall of 2008. Does anybody remember what was going on in the economy in the fall of 2008? Everything was drying up. It was the worst economic conditions in a century. And, and that was the point at which a few dozen people just kind of threw in what they had, no millionaires in that group, just kind of faithful and was like, here, we believe there needs to be a, a Christ-exalting, Bible-preaching, unapologetic a, a church in this area, and they gave. And by the time Andrew and I showed up to that little group, there was $35,000 in the bank. And just, just faithful, just throwing it in, just believing God's gonna use this, God's gonna multiply it. 
Do you know what God's done with that $35,000? He's multiplied it. And some of you are here experiencing the multiplication of what a few people gave as loaves and fish. We spent all that money on portable church equipment and and bought a stage and we rented North Point Elementary School and started meeting on a basketball gym floor and, and people began to come, things began to multiply and then we got a call from a church that used to meet on this property, Cornerstone Community Church and they'd struggled through some leadership issues and they had kind of dwindled down to about 50 people. We'd grown to about 400 people over there at North Point Elementary School and they called us up and they said, hey, we have property but no people. You have people, but no property. What if we gave what we had and these two churches became one? I wonder what would happen if we did that. And they did. And look at what happened. Things have multiplied. And even from then, we've, seen, we've gone to one service, two services, three services. Are you aware that we have four services on Sunday morning? I'm just halfway done with my morning. I don't know what you're doing, but I got work to do still. And so we just keep multiplying around here and we've planted five churches. I spent Monday all day with Pastor Jamie Maxim. Jamie was our church planter that we sent up to plant our campus in St. Joseph, Michigan, about 40 minutes away, which has now become an autonomous church. And you know what Jamie told me on Monday? He told me the story about how there was this little church in their community, Lakeshore Baptist Church, and they'd gone through some leadership issues and they had dwindled down to about 50 people. And they called up Pastor Jamie and they said, hey, you have people, but no property. And we have property, but no people. What if we put these two things together and maybe God would multiply it? And so those church, two churches have now become one under uh, our church and Pastor Jamie there. Harvest Lakeshore is its name now. And there is multiplication of disciples going on in that community. And even this morning over in Elkhart, we're multiplying what God is doing here out there. And they're trusting God. They're like, when's that going to happen for us? Where are the loaves and the fish? And, and more things are happening that I could even tell you about. You see the expansion of facilities around here and all the construction. You know, we're doing a really crazy thing, okay? So no churches do this, okay? Some churches, they just kind of get bigger where they're at and they build bigger buildings and get more people. And then other churches, they say, no, we're not gonna do that. We're just gonna plant churches as many as we can and send people out of here. We're doing both. That's ridiculous. Unless... You see the spiritual hunger all around you and you believe that God can multiply the loaves and the fishes that you bring and people like you come and say, I wanna be a part of that because I believe Jesus can do more with it than what I can do with it. This church is a miracle and you're a part of it. Are you a part of it? Because you are given the loaves and the fishes? Not only is this a miracle? I mean, you see the buildings and stuff. The, the, the new space back here is going to open up in about eight weeks, and we're so excited about that. Matter of fact, tonight, if you come to Fresh Encounter prayer meeting, we're going to do part of our praying in the construction zone. 
So you come, wear some nasty shoes because it's muddy back there, and we're going to go pray back there, and we're going to write scripture all over the walls, and we're going to trust God for the next miracle. Because here's the thing. Last March, about 15 months ago, we launched the Made for More campaign. If you were around then, you can tell this story even better than I can, but, but some of you are so new. You've come in in the last 15 months. You don't even know what's going on. Can I inform you? So we launched this thing, and we said it's about a $7 million project to, to renovate some stuff back here for children's ministry, to put some staff offices back here, and then to build an 1,100-seat auditorium right back over here, double the size of this room and put it over there so we don't have to have four services on Sunday morning at least for a couple of years. And that's the dream. And we said, that's about a $7 million price tag. And we went to the Lord and like, Lord, we don't have that. We don't, that's, a, it's going to take a miracle, but we got fish and loaves. And so here's what happened. About 226 family units pledged and gave a three-year commitment to scrape together as much as we could, put it in Jesus' hands, above the tithe, above just regular giving, above and beyond. And here we are 15 months later, and here's, here's what's happened. It's about a $7 million project. There's been about $4 million given or pledged over those three years. And now, that's great news. Is that pretty great news? By the way, we're still debt-free as a church. Is that pretty great news? Yeah, who does this? Nobody does this. Okay, Jesus is doing a miracle here. So that's awesome. But here's the thing. We still need another miracle because there's still $3 million out there that we have no idea where it's gonna come from. And we need to pray and we need to give and we need to ask God to do what we cannot do. By the way, of those 226 people that have pledged, about 10% of them have forgotten they pledged something. And uh, pledge is a promise, you know, to promise pledge is the same word there. And so here's the thing. The leadership made decisions based upon the people saying we're gonna give this. And so here's, here's the thing it would really be awesome if by the end of the summer there was about $500,000 that was given so that we could keep moving forward without the pressure and the stress and the debt and all those different things. If you want to be a part of the miracle and you're part of the new crowd that's come in in the last 15 months and you want in on this, pick up one of those brochures that's over at the resource center. See an usher. They'll be glad to get you one of those. Memorize the brochure and then see what the Lord would do if you would place what you have in his hands, you say it's not enough. Of course it's not enough. But Jesus can multiply it. And he's been doing it ever since we began this church. Be a part of the miracle because the reality is Jesus is asking for what I have. It's an opportunity to be a part of the miracle. Jesus doesn't need you, but he wants to use you. And he wants to partner with you to do stuff you can't do by yourself. Here's the last thing. Disciples of Jesus are satisfied knowing Jesus is more than enough. Do you believe that? Notice the last verse. Look at verse 17. And they all ate and were satisfied. Underline that word satisfied. They all ate. They didn't have room for another Krispy Kreme donut. They were just completely full. I can't take another bite. I have all that I'm, I, I can handle. That's how Jesus gives to us. And then notice it says this. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets 
of broken pieces. Why 12? One for every disciple. Peter, here's your basket. John, here's your basket. Thomas, even though you're doubting, here's your basket. Why do you doubt? Why do you doubt me? I satisfy every time. There's a theologian named William Guthrie. He said this, when the believer looks in faith to Jesus Christ, he says, less would not satisfy, but nothing more could ever be desired. If you could take a laser pointer and just point it on one of those loaves, in this story, think about the traveling that one of these loaves did. First of all, Jesus gave the loaf, he created the grain and the barley and he gave that, he placed it into the hand of the little boy. The little boy placed the loaf in the hands of the disciple. The disciple placed it in the hands of Jesus. Jesus placed it in the hands of the father The father gave it back to Jesus. Now, at this point, you would have expected Jesus to walk over to the crowds and start handing out the the loaf, but he didn't do that. Jesus took the loaf, broke it, and then put it back in the hand of the disciples and told the disciples to go put it in the hands of the people. And at the end of the story, they went back and the people put the leftovers back in the hands of the disciples. Notice who the leftovers are for. The leftovers are not for Jesus. The leftovers are for us. If you come to my house, you're the honored guest. I'm not gonna feed you leftovers. We give leftovers to the kids. We're the kids. We get the leftovers. But here's the incredible thing about the gospel. Jesus' leftovers satisfy every time. It's the only thing that satisfies the hunger of your soul. And if you've never come to Jesus, your soul will never be satisfied, no matter how much you have. Is there a hunger in your soul? Are you trying to feast on the junk food of the world, the money, the entertainment, the movies, the sex, the drugs? All of that stuff is never gonna satisfy. Jesus is enough to satisfy every time. You believe that? That's the fight. That's the struggle of every disciple. We have to be reminded of it. We have to be taught it. It's a learned behavior. But Jesus satisfies every time. Why don't you stand with me right now and bow your heads. And I'm just going to give you a moment to let that wrestling match continue. The fight is to believe what you've heard. Everything this world is going to tell you this week is Jesus is not enough. You've got to be self-reliant. Just get bigger, stronger, faster. Just make more money. Just get more friends. Have more influence. It'll never satisfy. Without Jesus, it'll never be enough. But with Jesus, no matter how little you have, you'll always have enough. Jesus, thank you for reminding us of this truth. And honestly, we just feel like little pimple-faced kids coming with what we have. It sure doesn't seem like much. Yet, by faith, we believe you can do so much more with it than what we would ever be able to do with it ourselves. 
God, I pray for those that have never even started this journey. Would you, would you give them such a generous heart that they would want to be part of the miracle that you're doing here? And Lord, I do pray for miraculous things to happen even in relationships and finances and sickness and health and so many people need you and yet the greatest miracle would be for you to come and meet the spiritual needs all around us use our church to meet the need we pray in jesus name amen let's sing together